Good to see you all this morning. Glad they have opportunity to, to be here. Sorry, my, of course, every time I get ready to preach, I always have like some kind of sinus thing. So dealing with a little bit of that, so I'm going to take a drink. Hopefully my voice will hold up. So I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we um, come to the last day of 2023. As I mentioned before in my prayer, um, I hope that you have some time to reflect on what the Lord has done in your life in, the, in this past year in 2023. Uh, some, some good, some bad, probably for all of us in different ways and different seasons of life and different things happening. But I also hope that we can look forward with anticipation and what the Lord is going to do in our lives, in our church, in our world in 2024. It might look bleak in your life or what you see in the world around you, uh, but I do trust and have confidence in the Lord that he is going to do a work, even if it's through hard pain and suffering or uh, joyous things happening, that the Lord is going to do good work in 2024. And I pray that you will have that confidence and that hope in what the Lord will do in this coming year as well. So we just came out of the Christmas season, and uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, created uh, fictional characters during the Christmas season is Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, and so Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, comes from Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. And <clears throat> I would say my favorite uh, movie rendition is actually A Muppet's Christmas Carol. I just love that version of it. But if you were to watch the George C. Scott uh, one where George C. Scott plays Ebenezer Scrooge. He is the best actor in playing that part. I just love the way that he portrays Ebenezer Scrooge in that movie. Um, <clears throat> but you know that Ebenezer Scrooge, Charles Dickens creates him as kind of the prototype of a person that is prideful, that has lived his life for selfish reasons and selfish ambition for himself his whole life. He had no care for anyone in the world except for himself. You, you know in the story as he goes around with each of the, that goes to the Christmas past, present, and future, he has shown what his past life looked like, what his present life, how people viewed him, you know, even his love life, he had, a, he had somebody that he loved and he lost her because of his selfish ambition, his desire for money and, and to accumulate stuff. He had lots of pride. But you see, after the ghost of the Christmas future, that he is a broken man, that he has changed. He has seen how his life has brought only pain and suffering and destruction to those around him and to himself. And he is a changed man. And you see it in all the movies on that Christmas morning, right? He, he's excited. In the George C. Scott one, he's dancing around. He's so happy. He's so excited that, that his life is different now. And you see that he opens the window and asks the kid, what day is it? And they say, it's Christmas Day. And he's arrived. And he, he changes everything, right? He takes care of Bob Cratchit and his son, Tiny Tim, and he's a good father to him, a father figure. And so you see the change from that prideful, selfish man into a, a humble man who has had his heart changed. So I thought as we enter this new year coming, starting at midnight tonight, as we enter into 2024, I thought a good topic for us to think about, a way that we could be a witness, the way that we could really focused and hone in on the way that we can live in 2024 as believers in Jesus is the idea of humility. And that's what happens with Ebenezer Scrooge. He is humbled. He, he begins to ex exhibit a changed heart through humility. Because C.S. Lewis says this about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Because 
It's uh, moving away from our prideful tendencies, our, our heart desire to be selfish and be about me, and stop thinking about ourselves so much, about thinking about others, and humbling ourselves and realizing what we have been given. And so today we're going to talk about the idea of, of humility, and not just humility, but the fact that we receive freedom when we choose to live the humble life, when we choose to move away from our prideful, selfish hearts and move towards humility. It gives us freedom. It allows us to not be enslaved anymore to our own hearts, our own desires, our own ways. So this morning, <clears throat> I want to start by talking about the idea of how we receive, how we become humble, how we have humility in our lives. It doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen by doing all these hard works. It comes from a heart surgery, really, open heart surgery. We need to have surgery. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31, that's where we're going to start this morning. Freedom and humility comes from open heart surgery. So looking in, in this, uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. So if you were to read the first 30 verses of this chapter, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the people that are in exile. He's writing these words to remind them that, yes, things are bleak. Things are hard right now. It's, it's difficult because we're in exile. We don't have control. We are, we are enslaved. But he reminds them that God is sovereign. God is in control. Their mourning will be turned to joy very soon. And just like their lives are going to be changed, just like there's a promise and a hope for them, there is for us too that we are able to root pride out of our hearts. We are able to have humility because of a heart transplant, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Out with, out with the old and in with the new, the new heart. So how does that happen? Let's read this passage. So following what he says in verse 30 there, he says this in verse 31. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall which one teach his neighbor, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the rest of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive them their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So you think about the way that the Israelites would deal with their sin as you look through the, the sacrificial system that we, they read in the Old Testament. That they would offer un, they clean lambs there to be sacrificed for their blood. The blood would be shed of the lamb to, for their sins. The problem is, that there is not enough lambs ever in the history of this world to cover all of our sin. That was only just a temporary help to, as a reminder and as a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so Jeremiah the prophet here is speaking to his people and reminding them of coming hope and confidence they can have in God and what he was going to do. But this covenant that he gives out here is much far-reaching to, to us today now. That this new covenant is no longer about offering a lamb as a sacrifice, but offering the lamb, the lamb of God, as a sacrifice for us. And because of that happening, 
It says there what? That the new covenant would bring, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. The very words of God, the very things that we need are written on our hearts. They're given to us because of what? We have a relationship with Jesus. The Lamb of God is sacrificed for our sins. We are now saved. We are now given eternal life. But now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers. So the very laws of the, of the, of the Bible, the very things that we need to know, the very most important doctrines, the theology stuff is written on our hearts because we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That's the open heart surgery that we needed. Because no matter what you try to do, you're not going to be able to pull up your bootstraps and be able to make yourself humble, to take away the pride to get rid of it just by all your works and all the things that you want to do. We need an open heart surgery, a work of the Lord in our hearts to be able to be changed, right? That Ebenezer Scrooge was on his way to the grave to live the way that he did all the way, but those ghosts came and showed him what his life looked like, the destructiveness of that pride and that selfishness in his heart. And we have had God initiate a relationship with us. He has given us Jesus, his death, his sacrifice for us. So now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and the laws are written on our hearts and our minds. We've been given it. We have the ability now to be able to root out pride and to bring humility into our lives. And one of the things I want to say over and over again as a reminder to us this morning is, we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus Christ, have no business being prideful. Because we haven't done the work, right? He has done it for us. We are not better than anybody else. The only thing that makes us better is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done. And so we, as believers in Jesus, should be the most humble people on this earth. People should see our humility dripping from our hearts and our minds and our words and everything we do. Our humility should be everywhere because of what Jesus has done for us. We have been given open heart surgery and the new covenant speaks to that. We have had our old hearts taken out and new hearts played. It's like a transplant. It allows us to deeply know God. It allows us to deeply live for God. So I ask you this morning, have you received that? Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you received that new heart through the new covenant that the, the laws will be written on our hearts and minds because of what Jesus has done? Because nothing in this world matters more than a real, true relationship with Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you have never begun a relationship with the Lord Jesus, if you not believe on him in faith, if you have questions, please come and find myself or one of the elders afterwards that we would love to talk to you about that. Because that's where it begins. It always begins with the gospel, the good news that Jesus has offered to us. He is the Lamb of God. He is the ultimate sacrifice that we need. One of the ways that our heart is changed through that open heart surgery is that pride does not have to dominate our lives anymore. Selfishness does not have to dominate anymore. We're able to serve the Lord. We're able through serving the Lord to serve other people. True, lasting, humble hearts can only come from having a work done within us by God. It might be interesting to you, as I mentioned a little bit ago, but I, that we as Christians should not be seen as being prideful, selfish people, but often we see that. We see pastors in the pulpit that are, that are charlatans that are looking to raise money and to do things for themselves and to have big empires in their churches You've seen big 
moral failures of pastors because of their pride. We've seen Christians all over the world living in ways that are immoral and away from the way the plans of God and the way they treat people and treat themselves. And that's always going to be a problem because sin still reigns. There's still problems, but we understand that we as Christians are called to something different. And that's what I'm calling to us to this morning is in 2024, let us live in a way that we actually truly have open heart. We've had open heart surgery, that we have been changed. We live under that new covenant that we are able to have humble hearts. We often struggle with looking to, to number one, right? We want everything for us. We want to be in the limelight. We want to get what we want. And all of us, to some degree, struggle with pride. It's, it's the underlying thing for what we struggle with. A lot of our sins are coming out of a prideful, selfish heart. And so we're kind, I'm speaking to myself as I look in the mirror. I'm speaking to all of us that if we struggle with pride, and we know that we do, we need to be reminded this morning of what Christ has done for us, what he's offered to us in this new heart, and stop going down that path of a prideful, selfish heart. Root those things out. Move forward in this new year with a humble heart. Because it brings freedom. We receive freedom. The world would tell us that it's enslaving to be humble, that you, you shackle yourself with all these rules and you do these things in your home. But the truth of the matter is, a selfish, prideful heart is enslaving. It leads to destructive behavior, destructive relationships, and hard, hard life. We desire to live in humility because it's freedom. It's freedom in Christ. It's freedom to live the way he's called us to. So there's a lot of people in this room that I've learned humility from. I've been here long enough to, to build relationships, and there's many of you that have shown me what it, lived, what it looks like to live the humble life as a Christian many that I could share in those stories. But I'd like to share a story of a, somebody that I, I saw that in my life in a previous church. So we had a, a guy that, that mentored Alicia even before I uh, came in, 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 into a relationship with her. Um, but he was also our, our marriage premarital counselor, him and his wife. His name was Chris Potts. And um, I have never met, uh, met a person that exudes that type of humility more than him. He often had a very gentle spirit, even in dealing with great conflict. He sacrificially gave up of his time as we had an influx in our church of Burundi Africans that came into our church as refugees, and him and his wife spent hours upon hours of driving them around, getting the kids to school and getting them to sporting events, sacrificially giving his time. He had a real deep love for God in his study of God's word, his teaching, and, and his love for, for all people. But I want you to know that that humility didn't mean he was weak. I saw him defend the gospel with tenacity. I saw him defend the church. I saw him defend me in times of struggle that I had at the end of my time in that church. I, I, I very few people in my life have I seen model on earth godly humility. But there is one person that walked on this earth that displayed it more and the best than ever, and that was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to look, us to look at one story of him doing that. So John chapter 13, if you move your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're starting in verse 1 of John chapter 13. 
So this is towards the end of, of Jesus' ministry on earth, and this is right before the Passover. It says there in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured a water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What am I doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you shall not share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my own feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who he was to, to portray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am, I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash at one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you might also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So you see in this passage that Jesus is towards the end of his ministry. He knows his time has come. His time is, he has come from the Father, and it says he's going back to God. He even in this instance sees and he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And Jesus knows this is the time for him to set an example to his, to his followers, to his disciples. So in the background of Judas Iscariot being ready and prepared to, to betray him, as he knows that it's time for him to go to the cross, he clearly in mind goes and says, I need to show an example to these people to my people, of what it looks like to show humility, to sacrifice, to lay his life down. And so what does he do? He, he, he takes the towel, wraps it around his waist, he pours the water into the basin, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He wipes them person by person, goes around and wipes their feet. Jesus is expressing his deep love for his followers. Look at how much he loves them that he desires to do this. He models for his followers and disciples now at this, at this juncture, at this exact moment, but he also is setting an example for us about true, real humility through servanthood. He washes their feet. And I want you to understand, it's not like, maybe some of you have been in church contexts where you do this regularly, or maybe you've done this before in, in church activities where you've washed feet. And let me tell you, you might find some kind of dirty feet here, but this is a different culture, right? These are really dirty feet. These people are wearing sandals and dirt roads. These are very dirty feet that are being washed here. So it's a little bit of a different context than we, what we would understand. It's a, and Jesus is being the leader of these people. He wouldn't be the one to do this, right? Who would, who would wash the feet of these people? It would be the lowly servants, right? They would be the ones that would usually do this. But that's the point. Jesus is lowly, and he's... He's humbling himself and doing this action 
to set his people up to understand the importance of servanthood and humility and serving one another. And one of the things I want you to recognize here is one of these men is an enemy of his, and he still shows love to him. He still shows humility. Judas is going to betray him, but he still washes his feet as he goes one by one to each of them. What humility is that to do that to even to an enemy? And that's a reminder to us, too, that there's people in this life that you're not going to get along with that you disagree with deeply, people that are non-believers, even some believers in the church. But we need to learn to humbly set aside those things and serve one another, even in times of relational issues. Now, Peter's response is interesting, right? Because one of the things I think we tend to forget about is the idea, the aspect of receiving humility. Because Peter's like, oh no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. You shouldn't be washing my feet. I'm not gonna, you're not going to do that. Because Peter is always the one that speak up, right? I'm sure a lot of the other disciples were thinking that, but Peter's the one that spoke it because he often is the one that speaks it. He's the one that says things. And so he says, Lord, I, you're not going to wash my feet. But then Jesus tells him, if I don't wash your feet, then you will have no part with me. You have no share with me. So Peter says, no, okay, well, if I, if I can't have a part with you, then wash my whole body, wash everything, right? Because Peter wants to have part with him. And, and, and Jesus has moved from the physical act to speaking of the spiritual act, right? Because that's what he's telling Peter, is if I, if, if I can't do this act of servanthood, if I can't show you, if I can't do this for you, if you're not going to follow me and have faith in me, then you have no part with me. And so he's talking about the idea of spiritual cleansing now. Because every person in this room, every person that's ever read this, and everybody in that story needs the spiritual cleansing of Jesus. That's the truth of the matter. We all need that spiritual cleansing. We all need to be willing to receive and humble ourselves and receive the grace that Jesus has offered to us. We need to not try to do it on our own. We need to not try to live out this, this life on our own path, in our own way, in our own prideful hearts. Even sometimes doing it in a veiled, churchy way can be a way that we are away from God and not doing it in the right way. We need to, to root out that pride of our heart and humbly rest and depend on the, way, the work of the Lord and what he's doing in our life. That is what Peter is being called to by Jesus here. And so we understand that we should receive that humility, receive hum humble acts from other Christians, but specifically receive the spiritual cleansing of Jesus. We need that. But it says here in verse 12, when he had washed their feet, he resumed talking to them, saying, do you understand why I've done this for you? Because Jesus, in this act, wants to teach them. He wants them to understand what is the purpose of what he's doing here. Spiritual cleansing idea is part of it. But he says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. So what is this point is? I am the leader. I am the son of God. I am not below this act because I am here to sacrifice, to be a servant, to, be, to, to lay my life down. If I, as the leader, as the son of God, am, am willing to do this, so ought you do this for others. Now, you can decide if you think that washing feet is a good thing. I've done that a few times in ministry career. It's not something I, I regularly do. But I think the point that Jesus is making is 
is that we should be willing to serve one another. Jesus served in so many different ways and showed this in a big way in this story. So should you and I be willing to serve one another. This church, this body of believers should be known in our community as be ones that love each other and serve one another and are willing to serve our community as well. People should see our humility through our acts of service, that we, we really truly lay down our lives for one another because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has set the example here in this story of what it means to sacrifice. There's a lot of places in this world where we see messages of, of freedom found in self-autonomy and putting ourselves first. The problem is, as I mentioned before, is that that is ultimately destructive and enslaving. The real freedom comes through setting aside and rooting out that pride and selfishness and living a life of servanthood, of humility, loving God first and then loving others. Tim Keller says this, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both the swaggering pridefulness and the sniveling of, of, of like an Ebenezer Scrooge type. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I still have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less, like C.S. Lewis said. We are called to have deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. There's the tension that we live in. We have deep confidence in the future and hope that the Lord has promised us, but we live it quietly with humility because of what Jesus has done for us. Both of those things are true. We should really pause this morning and think about this story of what Jesus has done, how it reflects true humility, and know that we don't live this perfectly. We have pride and selfishness in our hearts still. So where is it in your heart that you need to work on this? Is it the words that you speak? Is it the thoughts of your mind and heart? Is it that you're not living obediently for the Lord in the ways that you treat other people in your relationships? Maybe it's with your social media accounts that you need to work harder at being humble and not prideful. We are called to put Christ first in our lives and put other needs above ours. Why are we not doing that? It's often because we haven't checked our hearts. We haven't looked to live for him in a way that has meaning. We haven't looked to what Jesus, and maybe we just haven't had a good reminder in a while of what Jesus has done for us. So let us be reminded today of what Jesus set out in this example. But there's one more example that's better than that story. It's more so of the main reason why we should be humble. And that's because of what Jesus done for us. And Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 2. So if you'd move your Bibles over to one more passage we're going to look at this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's one more person uh, in church history that I'd like to talk about that has the idea, that I think lived out the idea of humility. Um, there's a guy named George Mueller. So George Mueller was, um, was a pastor in England. He was uh, a writer. He was a theologian. And, um, but more so than anything, he really reached out to the community, and specifically, he built orphanages for children. And one of the things that's so powerful about George Mueller's life is he never once asked for help with finances. But over and over and over again, the Lord blessed him. There, there are miraculous stories of a time when their, their family and their orphanage was out of money and a milk truck broke down right in front of their, the orphanage in his house. And they, it, they, they, the milk was going to go bad, so they just gave the milk to the orphanage and then they were, they were good and then the Lord provided more after that. There's so many stories in the life of George Mueller. And I, I've always just had such a, a love for his story because it was such trust and dependence and rest in the Lord over and over again in his story that you hear that. And that's the type of humility, that's the type of rest and dependence I want to live for. I want to live like that. I, I just don't often do so. I often get anxious about not having enough money or enough stuff or, or providing for ministry and other things. I don't always have that type of heart that George Mueller, but that's just what I desire to have. So when George Mueller was asked, what is the secret of the service and the ministry that you've done? This is what he said. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to myself, George Mueller, my opinions, my preferences, my tastes, and my will. I died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. And one of the things I loved about George Miller is he always had this great eternal perspective. And that's where one of the ways that freedom brings, we find freedom in humility is if we live the humble life that's rested and depending on the Lord, like George Mueller, we live for eternity. We don't just live for here and now. We live for the future, the future hope and confidence that we have in the Lord. We just read that here in this passage, too, that Paul is writing to us and reminding us by saying there, it, it looks like a question almost, but it really isn't. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, what he's saying is those things are true. There is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love. There is participation in the Spirit. There is affection and sympathy. So he says because those things are true, he says complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what do we have to do in order to achieve that? 
What do we have to do in order to be able to, to have the same joy and the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and just unified as, as a body or as Christians? It's putting other people up before us. It's other-focused mentality. It's a willingness to say that I'm going to set aside my wants and my needs for this person first. Because it says there in the, in the next verse, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Because of what Christ has done for us, because we have this new heart, we have that open heart surgery, because of, of Christ's example, because of what Christ has done for us on his, with his death and his resurrection, we no longer just look to ourselves. We don't always just look for our needs and our wants and the things, desires we have. What George Mueller said, we, are, we have died to ourselves now. We are living for Christ, which extends as we're seeking others before ourselves. Now, we don't often do that. We often look for number one, and we look for what we want. But I'm ask, I want to, uh, you to understand this morning that we are called as Christians to live for others. That means others in this church. So we need to put other people in this church before ourselves. That also means that there might be people outside of our church. There might be people that are other Christians or even non-believers in our jobs, in our schools, wherever they might be, that we are called to sacrifice and to live for them and not always just put our needs first. We need to avoid the temptation to have selfish ambition and make everything about ourselves. Instead, we do what it says here in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And one of the things I want to make us understand is that there are times where we have to take care of ourselves. We need to you know, make sure that we have health and we have the things we need and take care of our families. It doesn't say that we shouldn't look out of our own interests. It's just that we don't just make it about us. It's not this prideful, selfish thing where it's all about us. It's that we are to look after the interests of others. It's other-focused mentality that we're called to. That's, it's kind of a radical love. It's kind of a radical thing in our culture to put other people above ours, ourselves. But I can promise you something. Our humility, our willing to put others before other, other, put people before ourselves, what does that bring? It brings great witness from the world. They're going to see it. They're going to notice it. It's different. So we need to live that out. But we can't, again, do that on our own, right? All those things we just read in the first four verses doesn't just come from our own, our own works and our own just having the grit to do it. It says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We only get this because we are following the example of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because he's changed our hearts, we are a new creation, we are new people, we are able to do this. So what did Christ do as an example to us? The ultimate example of humility in the history of the world. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. We just, we just celebrate that right now, right? God, Emmanuel, Christ came to the earth. He humbled himself by taking the form of a servant and coming down here. And then, being, in verse 8, being born in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, 
like a beautiful, worshipful picture of who Jesus is and how God the Father has exalted him because of what he has done. Because he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think a lot of the time why we as Christians don't live out this humility is because we forget the depth of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. Jesus was obedient to God the Father's will to go to the cross. He went to the cross, took all that punishment, all that pain, all that suffering to cover our sins. So that should leave us with not even a single moment of desiring to be about number one or to be selfish or to prideful. All of that should be set aside because we are continually reminding ourselves about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' ultimate act of humility is the very reason why we find freedom when we choose to humble ourselves. Because when we humble ourselves and we put ourselves under the Lord Jesus Christ, we are adoptive sons of daughters. We have been given a future that nobody else can give us. Nothing else can offer us. The, only, the best future we have is living in utter dependence and reliance and rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we must do that. We must live that out. Because we want people to see who Jesus is through us. People should see Christ's humility in our lives. So I don't know where it is this morning that you really feel like you need to work on this, but I believe that it is important for us, to all of us, to look in, our, in the mirror this coming day or week or whatever as we prepare to get into this new year about how we can live out what it looks like to be humble. Because Christ has offered us the example in those two, both of these passages that we just, these last two we've read. But the only really, the way that we're able to do that is that if we're really resting and depending on Jesus. Because our humility is not within ourselves. It comes from outside. It comes from a relationship with Jesus. It comes with that new heart that's been given to us. We are sons and daughters that have received a part in the blessing that is for eternity. We have eternal perspective as we live this life. We're not just living for what I can have now and what I can offer now. It's living for the future. Because this is not our home. Philippians 3.20, right? We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. We are looking forward to a future of hope and confidence in what Jesus is going to do. Let's live great on this, life, this earth. Let us be confident that the Lord is going to do work through our lives. Let's have quiet confidence. Let's be humble so people can see that. But we are looking and longing for the future when we can live with Jesus and, be, and serve and worship him forever. So honestly, having a humble spirit is knowing and having the right view of God and what he has done for us. We need to understand how great and holy the God that we serve is. He's far above us. But the other side of the coin is, is that he loves us dearly. He desires to walk with us deeply. That should humble us to the core. That despite our deep, sinful hearts, he loves us and he has saved us. He still pursues us. And then the other part is we understand God, but then we have to understand ourselves. That we have a holy God. We have a great God. He loves us. But we are deeply sinful people. We still have, even as Christians, we still have pride in our hearts. 
So we need to live in dependence and reliance on God's grace every day. We need the gospel message in our minds and our hearts every day. We need to be reminded of it because it keeps us from desiring to walk in our own path. So we need a good understanding of who God is and we need a good understanding of who we are and that helps us to be humbled. So where is it that you need to work as we head into 2024? Maybe we've already talked about, do you need a true heart surgery? Do you need to start a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you need to be transparent about your own sin and your own struggles, your own pride in your own heart. That you need to open up to a mentor or to a friend about your own prideful heart. Maybe you need to check your speech and how do you speak to others. Maybe you need to find freedom in living more sacrificially with your time and your money. Maybe you need, as I said, need to watch your social media posting, humbling yourself. And one of the reasons I think I came across this this year is 2024, we are headed into another probably pretty strong and hard election cycle. And so one of the ways that I think we as Christians can be a very strong witness in 2024 is through our humility. Instead of just firing off things through messages and on social media, that we choose to have humility as we come into another election cycle. There is true freedom to be found in living with grace and with humility in our daily lives. So let us go into 2024 following the mind of Christ and humble ourselves and root pride and selfishness now and live for Jesus in a way that is a strong witness to God's glory. Living for God's glory, living with eternity in mind, and having the mind of the Savior in all the things that we do. Would you pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your house this morning. We are thankful for an opportunity to study your word, to think about this idea of humility. Lord, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to seek out in our own hearts where we have been showing pride, how we've been selfish. Lord, help us to be transparent and open that we, we all struggle with it to some degree in, in different ways, in different seasons of our life. Lord, that we, we know that we need to root this out. So help us to, to work on these things. But Lord, not do it in our own power, in our own strength. Lord, help us to desire to be humble because we have your mind, because you live inside of us through your spirit, that you have given us new hearts. Help us to rest and depend and trust in you in all things. You are sovereign. You are a leader of our lives. So we know this new year could bring all kinds of different things but we have quiet confidence and trust that you're going to lead us, guide us. So help us to have humility. Help the world around us to see that our church loves one another, that we sacrifice and lay our lives down for each other, that we have humility, that we desire to, to continue to work on our hearts together. And so, Lord, help us, the world, to see as a witness in this coming year how much that we are humble. Lord, we're thankful for your word and what it spoke to us today. And as we uh, go into this new year tomorrow, Lord, I just pray that you'll prepare our hearts to rest and trust in you and, and hear your gospel message afresh in this new year. Thank you for this time this morning. We pray this in your great and gracious name. Amen.